Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Dude, it's a big bleeping deal. Uh, it, <laughs> it really is. Uh, you know, Joe Biden, um, you know, ready to ready to take a take a serious victory lap with, you know, the opportunity to 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 sign the second biggest spending bill in the history of mankind um, and arguably uh, the biggest anti-poverty program. I mean, you might even say the biggest new anti-poverty program since uh since since the year of LBJ um you know there's been some significant stuff after that but but this is this is a this is a big deal 1.9 trillion dollar bill and while the progressives uh there was all this talk of progressives being upset because it didn't include a hike to the minimum wage um and uh and that there'd been you know a, a tweaking to the extra money alloc- you know for for additional unemployment benefits from $400 to $300 i mean in reality Biden got everything he asked for here. I mean, you know, with, with, with those exceptions. But, I mean, what he got is way more than anything he gave up. And in, in, in fact, some of the things that he gave up, he didn't actually really care that much about. Yes. And I'm not, I'm and not, he knew he wasn't going to get. Yeah, he knew he wasn't going to get, and, 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 and it was sacrificed as part of the process. I, look, you know, all of, all of the stuff that, that happens in the, the sausage-making around a bill, um, you know, the reconciliation process, the... Uh, the, the delay by hours on Friday with Joe Manchin insisting on some changes. All of that's forgotten once the bill is signed. And then it becomes about the, the, the actual legislation and its impact on people's lives. And Joe Biden is going to be able to, at the 50-day mark of his presidency, sign this enormous bill. And it is his bill. And, and it's a, he is, he's the biggest winner in this by far politically because he pushed for it and he got it done. Uh, and then engage in you know what might be a more important task, which is rolling it out and then selling it, uh, recognizing that um, there, this is a politically polarized time. People do want help. This bill is broadly popular. A lot of its provisions are broadly popular. But you have a calculation made by the entirety of the Republican conference in both the House and the Senate that this is too much. This is not advisable. All of them are opposing uh, what is right now, as of as of this day, as of the day that it's going to pass the House, uh, a very popular bill. Uh, they're making a calculation that they can turn it into something else, and it's going to be on Joe Biden and this White House um, to, to to sell it. And a lot of them, John, I think, remember. Uh, you know, 13 years ago, 12 years ago or so, when uh, there was a, a new president with a, with a new piece of legislation and uh, maybe some lost opportunities there. And, and is it hard to sell giving away money? <laughs> it shouldn't be. Like, so, to, to be serious for a second, I mean, there may be a massive downside to this if, if the size of, of the spending kind of, kind of tips the balance on this incredible uh, uh, deficit that we have, uh, that, that, that we are running. I mean, the national debt reaching staggeringly high numbers. This is all stuff uh, that, 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 of course, Donald Trump contributed mightily to. But now it's, you know, now, now we're piling on more and more. There may be a real downside down the road if this, you know, results in, you know, hyperinflation or, you know, uh, since interest rates skyrocketing. But for in the short term right now, I mean, we're talking about literally writing checks to people. Uh, we're talking about checks, not just the, the, the one time, the $1,400 check that's going out, uh, not just the continuation of the supplemental benefit for, for unemployment, but this, um, 
you know, the, 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 the child tax credit is, is now going to be a monthly benefit for m most Americans, you know, all but the wealthiest Americans getting $300 per month for every child. It should be easy, right? You think you think okay, let's let's own this. We know that he's not going to put his name physically on the checks, like President Trump famously fought to do. Uh, not it's a, it's a wait. Is, is, is Trump's name still on the checks from before? Did, 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 from the did, new did ones, like the leftover. No, I'm going to go on a limb and say that it's going to be some bureaucrat we never heard of, and okay. it's not going to be Donald J. Trump. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but so they're going to have to be a little more subtle than that in terms of selling it. Uh, you know, it's going to be. It, it will be a test of of, of this White House's political acumen in a different way because uh, so far they were able to play the inside and outside games to get to where they are and we've heard it from this White House over and over again it's already bipartisan because there's there's support from local mayors and governors Republicans there's also support among Republicans in the grassroots by as measured by public polling but this is going to roll out over a long time and John I'm just going to go out on another limb and say there's going to be some waste in this bill and there's going to be some some fraud that's associated with it and there's going to be some examples of uh, of money that that isn't spent or shouldn't have been spent, and there's going to be bad things in it. And yes, you're right. The economists talking about stagflation uh, and the, the broader impact of just pumping this much money in an in almost indiscriminate fashion. Uh, it, you know, these are these are popular things, but there are lots of things that are going to be unpopular about the the, the entirety of the of the return to normalcy, school reopenings that we've discussed, uh, what it means to, to to have to wear a mask or not from the federal government. All those things are now going to be owned by Joe Biden, um, and he'll take the win. Uh, but you know, there's there's a I've talked to some Republicans who are worried about this moment. They're they're wary of of what it means to dig in like this. But uh, those who've seen previous presidents and their popularity fade think that they have the makings of uh, of a comeback. Even leaving Trump aside, they feel pretty good about the 2022 midterms and the messaging right now in opposing this. And that's that's their gamble. And, and it is it is deja vu to the stimulus bill that that Obama was his first big piece of legislation. And as you remember well, and, I, and I'm going to try to, this is this is from memory. So if, if I am wrong on any of the details, Trevor can correct me. Uh, but uh, it passed in the Senate. There was some some Republican support for Obama's, and as I recall, 787 billion dollar stimulus bill. So in other words, you know, much less. Uh, I mean, really, almost a third of what of a little over a third of of, of the cost of this one. Um, but uh, we had uh, Arlen Specter, who was still a Republican at the time, vote for it. Uh, Olympia Snow, Susan Collins, I think that was it. And then over in the House, uh, Eric Cantor, a name from days past, uh, you know, led, led an opposition that meant not a single Republican voted for it. And you're right, there was a lot of talk of 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 waste and uh, you know there was the whole uh, uh, I mean there, 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 there were you know the Republicans made a, a sustained campaign uh, against it um, but I don't you know this one so much more of this bill is direct payments to individuals as opposed to that stimulus bill which was you know in a way kind of like the last time we did a big infrastructure bill. Um, but but Rick, this this comes against the backdrop of a Republican Party that looks to be back on its heels. Uh, we've had you know I mean a wave of retirements in in the Senate. We have uh, I mean the latest one Roy Blunt. We've had Rob Portman. Um, uh, we have what is it? What are we up to? Five five, uh, five. incumbent Republicans. Five Republicans uh, that we're not running for re-election next year. That's and and we may and, and Ron Johnson hasn't said whether or not he's going to run. We could have another. And Chuck um, Grassley. 
Chuck Grassley, we could have two more. Uh, Chuck Grassley's still just a spry, what is he, 87 years old? Something, yeah, he'll only be 88 uh, when he runs for election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but, 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 you know, you have, you have the, the, the guy who still is the most prominent Republican in the land. He lives down in Florida. I think he's it's at the Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, down there in West Palm Beach. And he's sending cease and desist letters out to uh, to the RNC and to the Republican campaign congressional campaign committees, saying stop using my name in your fundraisers. They're firing back, saying you know we'll do whatever we want. And uh, and Trump is now following that by saying if you want to support the Make America Great Again movement, if you want to support the America First movement, uh, then you've got to send your checks to me, Donald J. Trump, uh, in my in my in my you know, my political organizations. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how coherent the Republicans are going to be amidst all of that in, in providing an opposition to all, to, to all of this. And for all of that, you know, you know, you want to know something interesting about those five retiring Republican senators. And in fact, if the other two retire as well, there, there's, there's a through line for, for all seven of them. All of them represent states that President Trump carried at least once, a couple of them both times. And all five of those that have already retired, that have announced their retirement, served in the House before the Senate. They were dealmakers. They were pragmatic folks. They were, you know, they were, some of them were pretty conservative folks, but they were, for the, for the most part, they were part of that group that you'd look to in the Senate and say, wow, you can get things done with these people. You're um, not going to put Ron Johnson in that category. No, 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 I'm not. I'm okay, just going to okay, leave it to okay, the five. Okay, I'll leave it to the five. Okay. I don't think oh, the Ron five, Johnson's the five there, that but, have but said, I do okay. think, I, I think that's Roy Blunt. I think that's Pat Toomey. I think that's Richard Burr. I, that, that's, that's what we're talking about. Sure. And, sure. and, uh, and they are almost certainly, I don't want to say almost certainly, but the race to succeed them is going to look very Trumpy. And the, the, there's going to be a big push in the Republican Party to, uh, to, to try to, to ferret that out. But I don't think there's much that any of the party, party organisms can do to prevent that, even if they want to do that. They're going to, they're going to see almost certainly an, an open door for uh, people like well, Eric Trump in North Carolina, to name one in particular. Uh, but there are candidates lining up in all of those races that would take the party more in the direction of Donald Trump. More sure. in the direction so, so of Donald Trump. I agree with all that. Although, although I will go on the record right now and say I do not think that Laura Trump is going to uh, is to run for uh, for Senate. But it will be somebody in in her image and Donald Trump's image. Um, and you know, Missouri, Missouri is the place that gave us some of the old time, you know, deal deal makers. You know, I mean, Kit Bond, the legendary appropriator, John Danforth. Uh, you know, a, a true moderate work with the other party uh, uh, Republican. You're saying we can't get another John Danforth, or maybe very I mean, unlikely. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Okay, Danforth. By the way, I told you I was going to tell you the story about Danforth. Danforth. Um, was on uh, George W. Bush's shortlist for uh, running mate in 2000 when they were going through that process. Uh, you remember that process was being read, led by a guy named Dick Cheney. Um, and Danforth, uh, you know, had a lot. He was from, from, a, from a potential swing state, somebody who uh, played a key role in, 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 in 41's uh, White House in terms of shepherding the nomination of Clarence Thomas through. There was a lot going for Danforth. Carl Rove uh, was having, didn't trust the spokesperson for the campaign. It was a guy by the name of Ari Fleischer. And it was reported at one point that Trump, I mean, sorry, the, 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 the W had chosen Danforth as the running mate. I later found out what was going on with that, and it was that Karl Rove was thinking that, that Ari was leaking um, 
stuff from the campaign. So he decided to test the proposition by going in and telling Ari, and only Ari, that W had decided, you know, to keep it quiet, don't tell anybody, but W has decided Danforth's the man. And the only reason he did that is to see if it would leak, and sure enough, it leaked. <laughs> Busted! <laughs> anyway, well. hey, let's... Let's take a quick break, so we're going to talk to somebody who will, who will really help us get to the bottom of, of what this all means, uh, and by this I mean uh, this massive uh, COVID relief bill that uh, the President Biden is about to pass and what comes next, the guy that can really, really cut through it all and give us the answers. We'll be back in just a moment with Rahm Emanuel. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now uh, by, I, I think, Rick, it's fair to say, the guy with the most impressive resume of anybody we've ever had in Powerhouse Politics. Am I right about that? I mean... I don't know. I mean, President Company excluded, of course, but he's, he's up there. I mean, this is a guy who's been, you know, the, the mayor of arguably America's greatest city, uh, Chicago. He's been, uh, you know, senior advisor in one White House, a chief of staff in another White House. He's been a, a, a congressional leader. I mean, I mean, what what he's been a, you know successful in business. What has Rahm Emanuel not done, Mr. Mayor? Thank you for joining us. Hey, Dan. I would say one thing, if I can. Most important thing. Yes. Father of three incredibly grounded and successful children, with great values, which goes that that was a partnership, and that would be the biggest title I could have. Decent father. And, and, and probably the most, the most important accomplishment. You also have a couple of brothers that have, that have done some things. But, but anyway, that's, that's... Nothing according to a Jewish mother. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were talking about uh, this, this bill, and, and I know you've, you've, uh, you've written an op-ed uh, about the significance of this bill, and we were kind of picking up. I, I, we, we were talking about what, what, what you have said, although we weren't crediting you. So now we have you, and you can kind of take full credit for the analysis. <laughs> Boy, what a... What a <laughs> Washington style, yeah. talking about somebody else's work without crediting them. Well, that's impressive. It was really because we, we, we agreed with you and had come to some of the same conclusions. But we, you know, there was a lot of grousing about Biden as, as this COVID relief bill worked its way through Congress, that he wasn't fighting hard enough, that he, he gave up too easily on, um, on, on the minimum wage increase. Uh, that he didn't, uh, you know, urge a stand on, on the filibuster, that he, you know, that, that, that he just basically, you know, allowed this bill to be watered down. But as I look at what has passed here and what he is going to sign, uh, this is as this is like a progressive's dream. I mean, you know, I mean, this is this is a. This is a major, not, not just a major spending bill, but a major anti-poverty program. As you remember the famous whisper by Joe Biden to Barack Obama when he was signing the health care bill, this is a big deal, yes. blank deal. Uh, so look, here's, first of all, let's do, you have two sides there. One, look, the parliamentarian made a rule on the minimum wage, and uh, he's living to fight another day. We'll come back to that. I have some ideas about that. Second is, you went from an unemployment check of 400 to 300 and, and you shaved about a month off of the timeline of it. In the history of legislative writing, which is referred to as the sausage-making process, this is about as close to the original proposal as you could ever get in the, in the legislative process, ever. And more importantly, then, is what you just know, what are the policy implications? 
I saw some report that after-tax income for the uh, lowest working uh, families are going to grow by 20%. That's an incredible drive. And uh, now there's other ways of uh, reducing poverty, many different ways you have to come at something like that. This is probably the, one of the biggest since the Great Society anti-poverty programs. It builds off of a lot of concepts on the Children's Health Insurance Program that President uh, Clinton had signed. When you look at the $1,400 check to support families until the vaccine really kicks in, and, I mean, I get down to the politics, and I don't mean to go through that. I could go through the litany of the policy. Expands Obamacare, which will be a dramatic strengthening, which has always been the right case, set a foundation, build off of it. This is the within a short period of time, we're already expanding Obamacare into other reaches of the population, both on the Medicaid side and on the exchange side. But the politics is, in 10 months from now, if you think COVID is running out of control, nothing has changed on your routine, and the economy is flat to tanking, a no vote's going to look really smart. On the other hand, if you think COVID is back in a box, you have routines back in your life, meaning kids are going back to school, you're making some trips to uh, both the office, the factory, or wherever you work, and you're... You're, the economy is growing and jobs and incomes are growing and you're feeling better with a little more wind at the, in the sale, a no vote is going to take a lot of explanation. And it's just basically what you think 10 months from now are. And everybody who studies this is talking about economic growth of 7%, unemployment of 4%. Incomes have already grown with not only this $1,400 check, but other checks along the way. The consumer, in many ways, by some economists, is in the best position to really take advantage of a growing economy. My view is a no vote is going to be a vote that literally haunts you. So uh, we, we were talking about that. It's not that hard to sell something that, that, that is going to have a measurable impact in so many people's lives. I mean, you're basically giving out money. Right. Um, but who is right in terms of the... Not even long term, but but midterm uh, potential consequences here. Is Donald Trump right that basically the deficits don't matter anymore and interest rates are so low, right. so we can spend like you know whatever the hell? I mean, why not two trillion dollars? Let's do another another round of of of, uh, of infrastructure. Or is it somebody yeah. like Larry Summers uh, who says that there's a yeah. concern about potential you know hyperinflation down the road? The deficit's gonna you know, I mean, what, what, at what point does it matter? Or, or can we just keep spending like it just doesn't, you know, who cares? Well, well, first of all, you know, one of the things, and not to rat on journalism or whatever, people that analyze, you know, when you're in the White House, et cetera, you're weighing equities and liabilities against each other. I used to say in the White House, I said it when I was mayor, which is how much pain for how much pleasure, just like how much. And so one way to look at it is you have that risk. That's, there's a, it's, it's, a, it's more than just an academic discussion, which is if you all of a sudden start running inflation and interest rates have to go up and home mortgages, small businesses, and college loans costs go up, that's a, that is a risk. On the other hand, on the, of doing too little or not enough, et cetera, means um, you have the economy bumping along just above a recession but not really growing. And then you got to look at the liabilities of that also with can you, having missed two other opportunities to really punch this COVID back into a box, could you actually finally now, with the right resources, coordination, vaccination, 
more drugs coming on by with a better better infrastructure to deliver. Can you get COVID, which really unlocks the economic box? Can you get COVID under control? And my view is, given the um, opportunities for success, and given the liabilities on that equation, I think you go. Any president would have gone. At you could you argue you could have done 1.6 trillion, etc. You could say certain things. Yes, but the bulk of the thrust of the effort was finally, after a year when we missed twice, getting COVID under control, get the vaccines out. We're up to, I think over the weekend, two and a half million shots a day, which is a dramatic improvement. Get it up to the three million people need. You got to keep the mass and other type of precautions in place. That is a kind of conditionality of the economy. And if the economy starts to gain its own momentum, this will more than pay for itself. So let's talk about the selling aspect of this because you yeah. you 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 worked alongside a lot of the folks who are now involved in the rollout. Um, then Vice President Biden and Ron Klain right. and a lot of the folks on the team were were there in the trenches with you. What what lessons do you draw from the the, the selling of the the stimulus bill that you helped shepherd into law back in two thousand nine that can be applied? to the Biden team right now, a new president with control of both the House and the Senate, although more narrowly this time, uh, who gets gets a big priority done pretty early. Yeah, well, first of all, I think they're doing a real smart thing with the press conference. Uh, one is it takes all the press, you know, you haven't taken our question, gets that out of remove, and boo, and you're doing it with a major victory. So that starts with that. Second is, you know, they're gonna, you guys, think about your job. You're going to all of a sudden, when the first set of $1,400 checks go out, that's an announcement. When you receive, you know, three of the checks, that's going to be a thing. When you make loans to small businesses and you can be there to uh, when the first set of loans with the new package are done. And when the exchange is not, uh, healthcare exchanges are not only extended, you can announce, obviously, when we're opening up the enrollment period for the new group of uh, of parts of the population. When a state adopts, one state says, okay, we're going to go for Medicaid expansion. We never did it before, but we're going to go into the ACA and Medicaid expansion. That's an announcement. And you just basically, it's not a singular thing. You just pound that nail with your hammer and you just pound it into the wood. And now the other thing that's an advantage for them, this is one year. I mean, I didn't try to do it. There's a child tax credit that goes out monthly, et cetera. There's a lot of other there's many different parts of this, and you, you know, they're going to have a watchdog group that says, okay, here's a milestone, here's a milestone, here's a milestone. And every milestone, boom, you go out and smack it. And you just hit, it's like constant, whether you want to use the nail and hammer or the tennis ball and tennis against the wall, you just smack that sucker every time you get a milestone. But the other thing is, it's one year. So you are going to make a, in a short window, a big impression. And every other milestone that's not just off the bill, that because the bill affected. If you get up to three million shots, boom. You get schools open, boom. And you just come keep coming at it as a referent, as a recognition of the success of this bill. And it gets back to that first point I made. If you think in ten months from now, the world is either same as it is today or worse, a no vote puts you in the center of the arena. If you don't, and it's getting better, et cetera, your no vote makes you a pinata, and people are going to smack it. And that's just where it goes. I'm curious, 
when you say 10 months, are you, th- are you thinking about this November or next November? Are you talking about 22? 20- no, because I think I, I don't, this is probably my bad D triple C yeah. gene here. 10 months is when you're really in the crook of the recruitment. I see. Okay. And this gets back to another thing. So you got two other events that I would look at looking down the road. One, you got the Virginia and New Jersey governor's races. And if you had to say today, you'd bet on the Democrats. And I think I, I stopped researching this. I can't remember a time a president in his own party won both of those gubernatorial races, which is the first canary in the coal mine. So this will be, this has the potential to be a real historic. And so that will set a tone. Do you want to run or not run 12 months from that? Second, it's pretty clear, folks. Donald Trump's going on a recruitment drive to get candidates to run against Republicans. So even before the Republicans can start recruiting candidates against Democrats in battleground districts or states, the most popular Republican will be recruiting candidates in Republican primaries. That is all he will be doing. And my view, God bless him. So when you look 10 months out from now, there'll be other things happening that are going to have a real impact uh, on the midterm, because you can't, you know, you can't, as Bill Clinton used to say, folks, you can't beat something with nothing. <laughs> good. I, I like the impression, as always. So you, mean, well, you, you get yelled at for seven years straight. You get you, you, you get, get, you, get forget, you get forget. Look, Rick, Rick, I really love this show. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I tune in all the time. I love this show. Trevor, get that in the promo. Get that in the promo reel. That's a good one. That's a good one. We just heard from the former president. So, so your point about about pounding pounding that nail. Who's who's your best hammer out there? Is it the president? Uh, or oh, yeah. Is, okay. Tell no, so us everybody. No, 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 no. This is like it's the president, and there's. I'm guarantee you, Ron Klain has told every cabinet member when stuff is coming up through that bureaucracy of yours that's related to this bill. And it's a good story. Send it our way two weeks ahead of schedule. We want to know about it. And uh, other stuff, we we get to pick which ones of your stuff we want, and you get to you get to keep the other stuff. And so you have everybody, cabinet secretaries. There's something happening in you know uh, a state for 2022. A senator that's key for him or her. Great, you're going to be traveling there to announce it with them. That comes out of this. Everybody, no, no, everybody's oars in the water. Not everybody has the same stroke. Hey, so Rom, I've got I've got another question for you before you go. I, you know, you 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 yeah. are, as you as you just alluded to, you were you were the chair of the DCCC, a pretty successful cycle uh, back then, the uh, the two thousand six uh, cycle for two for, in a row for, for Democrats. <laughs> um, Oh, six and yeah. oh eight, but who's yeah, counting? Yeah, Keep yeah. Going. So uh, I just want your read. Just explain to us uh, the significance of this spat that we have seen and the extraordinariness of the spat of the former president sending a a cease and desist letter to the RNC and to the Republican uh, campaign committees uh, and and then following that up and then them telling him, you know, basically buzz off, we can use your name, we have a First Amendment right to do whatever we want. And and Trump basically telling, I mean, not basically, telling uh, his supporters all over the country if they want to support his agenda yeah. to, to donate to his his campaign organizations, not to the party. Look, I mean, you know, I used every resource I could to get candidates on the field. Because if you're having a midterm election, 
you go back to 1982 when the Democrats in the midterm against Ronald Reagan picked up, I think, 26 seats. 06, we did 30. You know, 1994, the uh, Republicans picked up 50-some. You can go back to the Watergate. You know, so look, you want to be, if you're the Republicans right now, you want to be everybody looking forward and looking at the field and saying, okay, what are the top 40 races we're going after? And then put all your energy and constant into this, into recruiting. And that is not only state senators, state reps, but outside of that, business people, et cetera. What is the profile, whether it's people out of the national security apparatus, people that served in Iraq and Afghanistan. You just look at a little, lot of different things. You try to expand the categories. The problem for the Republicans right now is that not only is Donald Trump saying to the Republicans, you can't use my name, I am going to spend whatever political juice I have in retribution. I don't And not only that's the House side. He's looking at that Trump tent. But in the Senate, if I was Mitch McConnell right now, I would get a food taster for the next caucus meeting. He, you have Blunt, Portman, Burr, all saying they're not running. Uh, to me, these are people that were, and I say this in a, you know, I know working out bipartisan deals or a, uh, an agreement means that somehow you compromise or somehow that's a bad four-letter word. But the, you know, look, I, I served with Congressman Port, uh, Senator Portman and Senator Blunt. We worked on certain things together. A lot of us basically were 99% of the time we were on opposite sides. But I know them. And the fact is, what's coming into that Senate caucus, Republican caucus right now, and there will be primaries in those states and others between Trump-like Republicans or what McConnell likes to think general election-like Republicans. And that will be a process that will distract them from recruiting for, against Democrats. It just will be. And you have a president who has one, which is like, this is the Faustian bargain they made, and they're going to chew on this for a long time. And they made a bargain with a person who doesn't give a rat's about them, just doesn't care. And it's not just money. It's where's the recruitment effort. What are we going to do here? And the other thing is, he's got his own financial battles, which I'm, I think in the end of the day, it's always been about his ego and his, money, and his wallet. That's all he cares about. Well, uh, you know the re Republicans can taste it. Uh, they they see they they got within five seats, much better than anybody thought uh, uh, in 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 twenty twenty, and and you know that's what McCarthy and company are thinking about. They're thinking that they, you know, the, the historic pattern holds. Right. They can pull this off. They can win seats, take over the house. But man, <laughs> this doesn't seem like the way to do it. I mean, not I don't know. No, I mean, there's, you don't, there's no, you have to be focused like yeah. a laser. They just yeah. do. And they're not, and they, the problem is they got a president that they're trying to cajole into being on the party team, and he's never he's been on the, on Trump the party team. team. He's been on the Trump he's team. He's on the Trump team. Yeah. And that's just like, you know, you, they could have dealt with this a long time ago. Every step of the way, they made a Faustian bargain with a person with, uh, with no decency. And now, they don't. They they don't know what to do, and and unfortunately that is. And I don't mean it just in pure politics because I think Donald Trump is a dangerous person. And so anyway, but there's opportunities for the. I mean, there's this will impact the legislative process and other things, etc. All right, Rahm Emanuel, a friend of the podcast. Uh, that's <laughs> the guys. other title you've got. Rahm, All right, thank you, Rick. Rick. John, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us.
Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> See you guys. That is all the time we have for uh, for Powers Politics. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our incredible team here, especially the, the great Trevor Hastings and the even better Adia Robinson. Thank you. We'll be back next week.